0: You're trained to be the first person, totally blind person to cross the English channel. So that's what I want to talk about today because for me, that brought up a lot of questions like, all right, how does that work? How does the
1: training work? Where comes to the swimming technique? Obviously, I've, I can't watch a person do a stroke and you can't feel a person do a stroke as they're doing it. And obviously, can't look back at, at video footage. So, you know, for me, I've always sort of, had the quandaries of how deep do i go in my stroke welcome to the effortless swimming podcast the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water become a better swimmer and live a better life here's your host brenton ford
0: hello and welcome to today's episode of the effortless swimming podcast i've got to say the guest i have on today has probably got the longest list of accomplishments of anyone who's been on this podcast and that is saying a lot we've had many gold medalists, Olympic medalists. We've had Andy Donson, who's done the Ocean Seven swim in 12 months. We've had many, many accomplished athletes on this podcast, but I think Jared probably takes the cake. Now, Jared is a three-time Paralympian, and he has competed in running twice and once in goalball, which is kind of like soccer where you use your hands and there's uh, like bells in the, in the ball. And he's been on the Australian team for triathlon at the Commonwealth Games. He's not. He's also climbed Mount Everest. He's run from Cairns to Brisbane five times, which is 2,000 kilometers. And that's just some of the things that he's accomplished over his lifetime. Now, the reason I've got Jared on the podcast is recently we had some people attend a clinic in Sydney and those people were, they're a guide for Jared's upcoming swim. So Jared is looking to be the first totally blind athlete to swim across the English Channel in August this year. And he, when it comes to Swimming English Channel, it's absolutely a team thing where there's so many people involved in from the, the pilot to the support to the training buddies, all that sort of stuff. But I think even more so when it comes to being the, totally, the first totally blind person to cross English Channel. So he's gonna do it with several guides where they'll have an attachment to the, to the thigh and I'll, I'll leave the rest for the podcast. But this was a really interesting episode and I learned a lot from Jared. He's an incredible person, incredible athlete. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Jared Gossens. So let's get into the episode. My guest today is Jared Gossens. Jared, welcome to the podcast.
1: Good morning. Thank you.
0: Well, I got to introduce you a couple months ago now. And a friend of yours, Chris, was saying that he, you know, he attended one of our freestyle clinics and was saying that he's training for the English Channel, but not in the, in the typical sense. He's training for the English Channel to go along as a, as a guide for your crossing. And you're trained to be the first person, totally blind person to cross the English Channel. So that's what I want to talk about today because for me, that brought up a lot of questions like, all right, how does that work? How does the training work? And, and then I sort of dug into your background and looked at all the past things that you've done, some crazy athletic and physical accomplishments. It sounds like you just love to set yourself a challenge, something that's completely out there. And then just and work away at it, and you've had a lot of success with that over the the last several years. Is there anything that comes to mind? What's probably the one that you're most proud of so far? Look, I think
1: for me, it's it's never been a bucket list of things I had to tick off. It's always been about the actual opportunity. And throughout my career, whether it be from long distance running, when my ultimate goal as a as a young kid back in the days, where there used to be the, the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield Run. The days of uh, Cliff Young and the Guros. For me, it was about uh, preparing both mentally and physically to to try and uh, a run it and and b potentially have a chance of placing or if not winning the actual race. So I embarked upon my first ever journey by running from and then I went on to complete that four further times by running from Cairns to Brisbane. So after. I suppose five years I felt I was both mentally and physically prepared to, to do the Sydney to Melbourne run and had my team, had the equipment, had the resources, I was all ready to go. And that year they actually cancelled the Sydney to Melbourne Westfield run. And I was sort of somewhat left stranded. And for me, I had to recognise that I have, a, I suppose, a very simple philosophy and that is success is a journey never ever a destination it wasn't going to sort of finish at those five runs from Cairns to Brisbane and then that turned to you know Paralympic Games and probably through athletics and triathlon and whole range of other adventures but for me now more so the the English Channel was about an opportunity you know I had I'd come back from the 2022 Commonwealth Games representing Australia in triathlon and I had a a small brunch for about sort of 60 or 70 people just to thank them for their support over the last, you know, sort of two or more decades. And uh, someone mentioned to me at the brunch that there's never been a totally blind person swim the English Channel. And I thought, well, hey, look, let's, let's give it a go. So it was through the opportunity and the, the teamwork, the support of ocean water swimming and has been incredible because they've just all come together. As swim guides, as Chris and Joe and Jen and Hayden and Phil have all shown that they are all dedicated towards assisting me across the English Channel.
0: Yeah, I'm watching a video from a couple of years ago where the ABC was interviewing your wife, she said that people will mention something and it'll put an idea in your head and just and plant that seed. And it sounds like that happened for the English Channel. Why do you think
1: that's what appealed to you in that moment? I think obviously what I... It's very hard for a person who started to, I suppose, appreciate the, the fullness of this particular answer. But every part of my life is teamwork, whether it be going to the movies, or whether it be going shopping and all of the years of training, for example, in athletics and long distance running and triathlon. All my adventures have been even, for example, when I climbed Everest on two occasions. It always was about teamwork. And I saw this as an opportunity and particularly training in the swimming pool where i have the opportunity to train individually i have the control of how long i train how hard i train and when i train whereas in running or cycling or climbing or whatever they look like i'm actually then somewhat i suppose limited to the availability and the ability of my guide so for example if i have a guide who pulls out because they're sick or injured or they're not necessarily having a good day, or they're feeling a bit fatigued, and they actually can't do the speed session. Whereas in the pool, I can actually get in there and place my own head on the line in the sense of my responsibility as a swimmer to train myself. Would it be for just a simple long swim through two hard reps?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, what's that for you? Does does that then it obviously makes it easier to to do the the training because you're not relying on on someone else to to do the training. Has there been any other differences there in in terms of just having the option to, well, to just go whenever you would like, or to do as much or as you know, little as you, as you need to? Has there been any other differences that have stood out to you there?
1: I think it's a, a very simplistic way of describing, it. it's like when uh, your, your sixteen year old gets the 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 pea or the driver's licenses, and when they you know, have to sit with mum and dad for, I think it's a hundred hours in the car. And then, when that get, comes to that day where they've got their own license and they have the freedom, and they go, Whoa, this is great. I get to drive out <laughs> on my own. I have no worries about who's in the car beside me watching, you know, how I drive and when I drive. And the freedom for me has been, I suppose, fantastic as a person who is totally blind. And secondly, though, the, the biggest thing that has been quite remarkable, not necessarily related to the pool, but has been to open water swimming and the. Amazing culture that there is amongst open water swimming in the sense that when you are tethered to a person who is totally blind, the, the growth, the understanding, the somewhat courage and resilience of the guide swimmers has been quite remarkable because they've had to under, under, overcome some amazing perceptions as well because you know, their fear would be, oh my God, how am I going to guide a person who's totally blind in the ocean?" Well, now I've got multiple guys, both Gold Coast, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, who are all available and prepared to jump out into the open water and swim 5, 10, you know, 15 kilometers. Wow. And into uh, the question that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, and
0: this is what I wondered initially, is right, how do you do your training in the pool and how do you do it in the open water? And you mentioned the, the tether there. Can you talk a bit about how the where the tether is how it works and um, what that experience is like swimming with the tether on
1: sure in the swimming pool first up i actually when i'm swimming in the pool i actually wear a snorkel and the reason why i wear a snorkel is because i don't count my strokes because i may wander a tad to the left or a tad to the right and that's going to change whether it be by one stroke or half a stroke where i am in the pool the reason why I wear a snorkel is because I can listen to the water, so I can tell you whether it's shallow or deep. And I actually, as I'm coming into the wall, I can listen to the depth of the water and know where exactly where I am in the actual pool. I have a very good callus on two of my fingers on my left arm or left hand. So as I'm going up the lane ropes, so I just check everything again. So my my finger uh, will rub up against the lane ropes, so it's well worn by mm. the how brutal some of the land ropes are in some of the swimming pools. And that's how I can swim independently and, and and I suppose with somewhat some freedom. In the actual ocean, I have a swim tether. So there's a elastic cord that goes from just above my knee to my fellow swim guide, has like a small sort of wraparound harness which goes around the actual thigh. I I suppose I wouldn't say you invented it, but designed it. And so I actually now provide these swim tethers to other. Paralympic swimmers who are doing open water swimming, more so triathletes. Mm. I designed it through when I was competing for Australia in triathlons because there were a number of other uh, Paralympic athletes or triathletes around the world who were using, whether it be a cord from a surfing board or a, a piece of rope, and I thought there must be way better design that's going to fit more comfortably, be lightweight and more resilient. And so I've sort of taken the time over the years to design it. And it's very comfortable. It's it's lightweight. It doesn't hold any water. Obviously, it's it's simply a piece of the resistance bands you might buy at a Rebel Sports Store. And then that's obviously sewn into a, a tether, which goes around the actual thigh of the swim guide. And the thing about obviously being a swim guide is there's no actual talking in the water, obviously. But I can actually feel through the tension of the tether where my guide is going. For example, if you've ever ridden a horse, you can feel the tension through the reins of a horse where it's going, how it's, I suppose, working. And it's the same when working in the ocean. You you become very sensitive to the tension on the actual tether itself. Mm.
0: It, uh, it's a shame they don't make the the old foam lane ropes like they used to back in the eighties oh, no. and nineties. You'd uh, you'd have much less of a callus on your hands. But I I think it's only just gotten worse. There was lane ropes at msac which is the main pool in melbourne and the they bought in these brand new state-of-the-art lane ropes to stop any sort of waves and and splash but they were brutal they they had sharp edges and they they're not good now hopefully i imagine they've probably got just the your standard lane ropes there at at Yoronga park but yeah it's 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 amazing I, i haven't tried listening to the depth of the the water i've never tried that it makes me really curious as to want to to try it i doubt i'd be able to notice a difference there have you heard of anyone else being able to tell the difference in depth
1: from just listening to it i've been trying to train a number of uh, young athletes who are are blind or have low vision rowan is the young kid and patrick is actually based in melbourne i've been trying to train them to to really use the other senses to have a sensitivity to the depths of the actual water if you go to places like, for example, Chandler Aquatic Center in Brisbane, that's where it becomes a challenge because it's the same depth all the way through. Yeah. You have to use other sensors there, whether you through the acoustics of, of the Chandler Aquatic Center. But most pools, obviously with a shallow and deep, it becomes, you know, very easy. More so places like, you know, University of Queensland. But Yuronga for me is sensational, not only from obviously it's set up for a person who's blind and has low vision, but a, the culture of the swimming pool, the people there is quite remarkable and they're very inclusive for a person who is totally blind.
0: Hey, tell me a bit about the team who'll be going over to the UK with you to to do the swim.
1: I have six swim guides. I have three girls and three guides, both Joe, Rosie, and Jen. They're female guides. They all are supposed to have very different abilities, as do Phil, Chris, and Hayden. I uh, I suppose this is going to sound a bit funny, but I describe them in some respects. For example, I, one of the guys I describe as the old sort of Holman Commodore, where it's, it's quite comfortable <laughs> and we just keep on going. Where one of the other guys I describe as, as this human speedboat, they have a lot of speed That's and it. I really have to you know, put the old sort of jets on to, to, to swim beside them. So each of them had their own set of skills and I will tailor their set of skills, strengths in the actual i suppose channel crossing so there are four quadrants in the actual channel and i will make sure that they will be sort of put into the water so that we an hour on hour off so obviously uh, for example hayden will be my first swimmer uh, to get out through some of the chop he's a very strong swimmer i'll utilize his knowledge and his time with me so hayden went to the Commonwealth games with me when i competed for australia and triathlon and then you look at people Like Phil, who, you know, is a stayer and I will use him into the middle parts of the actual crossing as well. So I will utilize their strengths and skills for uh, each part of the course or the crossing.
0: What's been different for you with the swimming training compared to your running background? Before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode, this episode is proudly brought to you by Form Smart Swim Goggles. They've been a long time sponsor of the podcast, and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles. And we know swimming is a highly technical sport, but without the guidance of a coach on deck, identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge. They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, head coach, and this addresses that problem head on. It gives swimmers improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis head coach provides real-time visual coaching via the form smart swim goggles augmented reality display during and after a swim head coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics form score and head coach skills form score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from 0 to 100 defined by your pace and your stroke length head coach skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency head roll head pitch set pacing interval pacing and breathing time to neutral And after completing a session, you can check back in on the Form app to track your progress. And Head Coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code EFFORTLESS on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim goggles.
1: I think for me, obviously, it's that sense of solitude because. I used to run when I was trying to run from Cairns to Brisbane and I was uh, studying at University of Queensland and I was living there at Emanuel College and I'd run past the pool and you know, I was sort of training at sort of four or five in the morning and you could smell the chlorine coming across uh, the university <laughs> campus and you think, what crazy soul would swim at five <laughs> in the morning? Why would you do that? Why would you stick your head in a bucket <laughs> of water basically and do that? And here I am, Brenton, I was at the pool at 3 a.m. this morning, Caught up at 2.15, I was in, you're on oh the pool, God. in the pool by 3.05. So it's amazing how things change. And I have a very strong quote in my life, and that is that change is constant, growth is optional. So it's hmm. the, the solitude of the actual pool because there's a lot of thoughts that go through your head when you're doing, you know, four, five, six, whatever kilometers, but more so for a person who's totally by, not just in the pool but also in the ocean because a person who's sighted actually can see whether it be a buoy out there on a marker if you're going around a course or it could be a building in the distance, for example, when we do our swims along the Gold Coast. You know, the, uh, the team can look at uh, Q1 or the dual, ho- you know, dual hotel or other landmarks along the way, and they can sort of unconsciously and consciously to know how well they're going, whether it's for me, it's, you know, we could be swimming into a sweep and i'm thinking gee we should be there by now but unaware that the actual sweep is really strong or thinking oh we're almost there but in actual fact run really quickly because we're with the sweep so it's all the time in your brain you're having to think are we there yet are we there are we there yet? so you have to have that mental strength to know and trust your your guys implicitly not in obviously the direction they're taking you but in how you're swimming as well and when
0: you do eventually swim the channel? Will you be getting updates on the distance that you've swum and the time you've been in there? What for you works best m- mentally?
1: I think for me, I'm just going to not. I don't need to know my distances. When I did the 20k swim a few weeks ago at Noosa, I sort of set out to just go through my swim guide so that you know, for example, Hayden one, you know, Chris two, and onwards I went. So I was just working through that that hour sort of clock hour of each of the swim guides and. It was only within the last sort of maybe 2K that I simply asked, you know, how far are we off to the finish? And that wasn't through exhaustion or fatigue. It was just because I knew that I'd been through a number of guides and I knew that we must be getting very close towards the actual swim. So mean, I and I'll use the same sort of philosophy because I just bought off small pieces. It's not looking at the big piece. It's I suppose a good analogy is, you know, how do you how do you eat elephants? Well, you know, one bar at a time. You know, it's, it's not looking at the, the massive... I suppose crossing and I have no I suppose time that I'm aiming for because for me I'm based on endurance and I will get there regardless of the actual time mm. and in terms of swimming
0: technique for me when I'm running clinics we have a big emphasis on the, on the visual side of it recording video and showing people and, and that helps them understand what they're doing a lot what has it been like for you in terms of the technical side of it and what kind of coaching or if there's cues or something like that that's, that you have found to
1: be helpful over the last year or so? I think for me, both when I was sort of training for triathlon and now obviously the distance swimming, it's, it's really hard. And I'll give an analogy in that respect is that I had the opportunity to compete on Dancing with the Stars. And when I was asked to do things, for example, like the rumba, Tango, I suppose the jive, but when it came to things like, for example, the rumba, and they said, "Hey, listen, we really need a, a sexy look." Well, what does that look like?
0: I've never <laughs> seen a sexy
1: look. Or well, we're doing the tango, so we want a passionate look. Well, what does that look like? I've never seen a passionate. <laughs> yeah. So, when it comes to swimming technique, obviously, I've ne- I can't watch a person do a stroke, and you can't feel a person do a stroke as they're doing it and obviously can't look back at at video footage so you know for me i've always sort of had the quandaries of you know how deep do i go with my stroke you know do i keep it sort of more closer to the surface that is less drag but more speed on the stroke or does it go deep or you know there's all these questions i've had over time or am i placing my chest in the right position and making up so head position all that sort of stuff becomes A massive challenge, not only for me, but also for anybody who's trying to give me advice. And you know, whilst we're getting there, I don't claim to be any much of a swimmer as I did a dancer. Look, you know, I made it to the final dancing with the stars purely through the passion, the story that we told. I was never a great dancer. And it's the same, I don't claim to be a good swimmer. I just claim to be a person who is stubborn, persistent, and determined to to do what I can.
0: i think trying to to give off a yeah like passionate or whatever it is sort of vibe when you're dancing that's that's hard enough if you can see what it's meant to look like i think so the fact that you can't say what it's like it's like man that's that's hard work so yeah that's that's amazing for example
1: um, when people used to say to me oh they're looking they're giving you the the evil eye or they're giving you the (laughs) the come to bed look like to me go what the hell does that look like (laughs) well they're looking at you with a confused look well, what does that mean? I've never seen a confused look. So that that's all it, that, because facial expressions are learned as you're a baby, and as you're growing up, you learn your facial expressions from your parents. You know they look at you with an angry look. You learn that look. It's it's unconsciously learned Whereas I never got to experience those sort of things. Do you find you the equivalent for you would be in say tone with like
0: vocal vocal tone.
1: Yeah, bike yeah, sure, but, but I think obviously when you're doing something like, for example, dance and they say, hey, listen, you're expressing your face on your face has to be a very passionate look. Mm. Or <laughs> if you look back on one of the commentaries of actually they, they reviewed my quick step. I did pretty well, that dance. But Helen, who was one of the judges, said, she said, okay, when you're doing this, I need you to imagine you're waiting for a bus. Well, I've never waited for a bus. So I don't know what that looks like. What is it does a waiting for a bus look like? So yeah, you know, there's there's all these sort of visual things that people will try and work through. But from a swimming perspective, as I said, it's it's the challenge of you know, underwater, am I actually going too deep or am I going too shallow? Or you know, is the elbow in the right position? Am I going too high with the elbow? Am I dropping the elbow? there's all that sort of technical stuff that yeah, yeah, I suppose the the challenges. But for me it's about persistence and as i said i'll just i'll keep on taking that advice and in terms of
0: fitting all of this training into your into your day how are you how are you finding that compared to when you were doing the other sports
1: oh look i i think i've lucky enough where i don't require a lot of sleep and i think that was sort of built into me through all the years of the major long distances so i Hmm. i train twice a day almost every day whether it be going for a run on the side or going for a a bike ride but i'm going to actually cut back the bike rides now purely from a a risk analysis perspective because i can't control other riders so i ride a tandem bike and my pilots is as in my front rider is is very very good but it's the cars and other riders who could have an accident so i'm cutting that back whereas running the pilates all that sort of stuff is is pretty I suppose entrenched in my life but I love training you know there's no there's no there's never a day where I don't sort of say oh gee I wish I could have a day off it's <laughs> for me it's about the whole enjoyment of I'd rather turn up at my grave all I suppose rugged and more an ounce and, and all this stuff rather than me sort of fresh as a daisy totally
0: agree it's like just if I don't if I don't exercise in a day I'd feel agitated as a result just especially in the morning i love love getting something done in the morning and in terms of starting at three o'clock do they open the pool for you or is, yes. is there a pool okay i'm gonna say i don't know any pools that will open at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> anywhere well, we else. actually, we actually our cook. actual
1: official squad starts at four four fifteen so the it's guys so are early. actually the pool, get there an hour early at three just to you know get everything set up and they allow me to go through the the back and that's been a fantastic uh, support from Shelly and the guys that you're on a swimming pool because they Mm. are aware obviously. And for me, it also allows me that hour where I don't have to worry about swimmers coming towards me, you know, if I wander a slightly bit towards the middle, then so be it for the hour. I have that sort of relaxation that, for example, Brendan, I, I often talk about the what we call emotional carbohydrates. For example, when you walk down a corridor, you would use up, let's say you know, 1% of emotional carbohydrates of, of thinking about where you're walking, how you're walking. For a person who is totally blind, and it's ne- this has never been equated, I hypothetically might use up 8 or 10 carbohydrates emotionally. And it's the same in the pool and it's the same in open water because for every stroke I take, both in the pool and also in the open water, Emotional carbohydrates are consumed far more vigorously because I'm thinking about where I am in the water, what's the tension on the tether, what am I feeling through that? Not only from a, I suppose, a communication. How's my balance? Is my body sitting straight? Because a person who's sighted also knows when to breathe. So, if it's really choppy, and when I first started doing open water, it was a massive struggle because I couldn't see waves. So i swallow like falls because a person so can then think okay well i won't breathe now whereas i would be breathing and a wave hits me or a, a bit of chop hits me and in the pool though obviously keeping myself straight up against the lane rope, so because i'm not going to obviously put another person in danger who's sort of swimming towards me so i'll, I'll be consciously using up emotional carbohydrates carbohydrates far more viciously than a person who's
0: and yeah, have you noticed that all the way through your, your career, just in, in terms of the, the oh, emotional yeah, carbohydrates?
1: Yeah, yeah. My, my yeah, emotional carbohydrates, as in what the brain actually consumes. And for example, if I go to a very loud, even not through sport, if I go to a loud venue where it be for, for example, I go, I'm a straight ambassador. Tomorrow, I travel out west. I've got uh, Australian awards. I, I, I was young Australian back in 95. And I'm going out there, to present awards and make people strangers. There's a function on Friday morning for 400 people, and I know that my emotional carbohydrates will be used a lot, not only in knowing my surroundings, the people around me, what objects are around me, and where I'm actually working. whether it be with my, my partner or whether it be with my guide dog? So, just even in a loud environment, you're using emotional carbohydrates, and that's where athletes. Even sighted, for example, when they go out on the town or where they go to a, a function, they don't realise when they get to their train next day why they're feeling that bit fatigue. It may not be physically; it's just emotionally. Yeah, it certainly
0: adds up. And I think I think about that even if I just travel into the the city where it's just it's busy. There's cars. There's lots of people. It's like just being in that environment is is tiring. And compared to being out out on the coast where it's quieter not many people around so that makes makes a lot of lot of sense i is think there
1: i a- sorry i think another way of actually describing it very easy too is it's like for example when you go out on your first date we are we're be with <laughs> a, a girl or guy because for example you're thinking about okay what am i going to wear what am i going to talk about where are we going to eat and it's the same day for example same thing when you go for your first day on a brand new job at the work You're thinking about your desk, where you're going to be sitting, the new people around you, what you're going to potentially get for lunch, what the worst going to be like, what the new boss is going to be like, and you go home after that first day of work and you're exhausted, emotionally, not physically, just emotionally.
0: Have you found that that's impacted? Like, obviously, an endurance athlete, has, do you feel like that impacts your racing? Like, when you've done the the long runs, has that, have you noticed that take a take a toll, or have you noticed that in the pool when you have the lane to yourself and the pool to yourself that you feel like those say i don't know 3k goes a lot quicker than the the second 3k
1: oh yeah look most definitely because obviously you you're you have one less thing to worry about but i think my body has learned to adapt over the years but my body also knows when to shut down for example brenton never traveled with me on a plane and the reason why i say that <laughs> is because i'll step onto a plane and I sit in the seat and I go to sleep straight away. My body just goes, okay, we're in a plane. We can't go anywhere, not moving, bang, and I'm off to sleep. And so there's no talking to me, I'm plane, And it's, my body can just shut down for that few minutes and it's, it's gone again. And I think from a, a long run perspective, you have, I suppose, the ability, for example, whether it be Richmond Road or I hate running a footpath, picture my roads are far more controllable environment for me because if I'm running on a footpath, I'm thinking, well, you know, what branches are hanging over the fence? You know, is it gonna be even pavement or is it gonna be uneven pavement? So I will try and control those factors that will influence how many emotional carbohydrates I will consume. But then there's also how your guides are feeling as well because I can't see their facials. They could be struggling. Whether it be not physically, but also other things happen in their life as well, so i have to be trying and sensitive to to their own emotional and physical needs as well what uh,
0: what do you do to to pass the time, whether it be running or, or swimming? how do you get through those long stretches of monotonous activity like just I've, I've talked to uh, quite a few distance swimmers, and one of them said that when he was doing i think it was like taupo he said he pretend he in his mind he goes from when he was a kid, his the house that he lived in, and he just tries to follow along the road to like different locations and go around all the different streets just in his in his mind.
1: Do you have anything that you do to pass the time? I think for me, I will whilst I'm also focusing on particularly open water, I'm focused obviously if it's really flat for example, it could be a Noggle dam in Brisbane. Okay. So I don't have to worry about waves or chop or anything like that. So that's a very meditative sort of swim, just swim, swim. I can think about uh, what it be the work that I do. I'm a, I suppose I run a number of different projects for, for, whether it be through the Paralympic Committee, for the Olympic Committee, for Triathlon Australia, whether it be through my um, work as a chocolatier. So I have businesses uh, in the in Brisbane CBD. So would it would be going through, even, for example, designing chocolates, I have then trying to invent new flavors, designs. So my brain is constantly thinking, but then also checking back into, hey, how's the tether? How's the tension? You know, where's my swim guide? Are they slightly you know, in front or are they slightly behind? You know, how are they feeling? How do, I, how do I think they're feeling in the actual water? So there's a that, that constant rollover roll over of thoughts. If it's in the ocean, way different because I could be then thinking about the chop. Okay, when is it safe to breathe? Is it going to be good here now? What am I going through? And the, the other thing is, from a blind perspective, is bloody jellyfish, and particularly the small ones. Like, you, sort of, you you might run into, a, particularly on the Gulf Coast, you run into these small packs of hundreds and hundreds of tiny little jellyfish, you know, the globule ones. And you think, shit, don't swallow one, don't swallow one, don't swallow one. Like, it's, it's, you know, how long will these jellyfish last? Are they going, are they going to sting me? Are they not going to sting me? and there's all that sort of swimming into the unknown is at times a bit a bit confronting
0: oh yeah it's yeah, it, nothing worse than jellyfish on a bubble there are worse things but yeah jellyfish are just not much not much fun i've uh, in the bay in melbourne they have occasionally have these really big ones about 30 to 35 centimeters across and and high as well and i've Many times, just put my hand straight into one because I'm swimming with my head down, and creeps me out every every single time. We like we don't have too many stinging ones down down here, but it's not. So, they have a few stinging ones up up on the Gold Coast, don't
1: they? Yeah, we do, but it's more that they're really like they can change. For example, would it be and more so just last weekend up Recliffe, my team did a 10k swim, and a lot of my team got and I was I don't know why, but I was lucky enough not to to be impacted, but by sea lice. And mm. all my team now come up with, you know, welts and rashes and feeling unwell. So you know, there's all those sort of things you have to deal with. But it was more so for me the unknown. Okay. When you're swimming through a large pack of jellyfish, you know, how long will this last? And even, for example, when I swim around Great Kippel Island, you know, I had a, I had a dugong brush past me. Now, that <laughs> was a bit of a scary moment because I had no idea what that was at, at that time. Oh, how long did it stick around for? I've, I've never
0: heard of someone swimming along with a cheekbone.
1: Well, it was, wasn't there for that long. It was, I don't know whether it'd be, it just sort of was falling out of a, a eight ball of fish or what have you. The other one that really freaked me out, which was, I suppose I never knew that I would feel like that. I mean, that was a stingray. We were swimming through Raycliffe probably about two months ago now, and there were some shallow waters there, and my hand came down and brushed across the top of a stingray. And I always assumed that a stingray would be sort of, maybe that's the hard, fleshy bit, but it's actually, they're very velvety, almost like a tiny bit sort of, I wouldn't say furry, but I was going back against the grain of the actual sort of bird dash whatever they are on the top of a stingray. So that was something that I never knew they would feel like. It's like, for example, I never knew, it took me 25 years to know that an elephant was hairy because you've into a, <laughs> A store of a, of a shop and you pick up an elephant there's not one ounce of hair on them one day <laughs> yeah. when i went to the circus and i had the chance to have a ride on the elephant it's like mounting a major scrubbing brush they're one of the hairiest things i've ever come across so your perceptions in your mind can be very different to what they realistically are
0: yeah that, uh,
1: that's amazing mm-hmm. is there any lessons that come to mind that you've
0: had to learn over the the years through sport and the physical? Challenges you've set yourself? Are there any lessons that have really stuck where you have to remind yourself when you're maybe going through something that's challenging or you're in a heavy block of training?
1: What are those key couple of lessons that you keep coming back to? I think I carry two tools with me. I carry something that I will never ever use in my life, and that's a mirror. And the reason why I carry a mirror with me everywhere I go is that when you walk into the bathroom in the morning and you give it a smile, it gives one back. When you walk into the bathroom and you give it a grimace, it gives one back. What you put in is exactly what you get back. And for me, it's about that understanding that if I'm going to put in the hard session, obviously I'll get the results back from the hard session. If I don't put anything in at all, then nothing's going to be received. The other thing I carry with me is a piece of Everest. When I climbed Everest in 2003 and three and five. I brought back a piece of rock uh, from the top of the uh, summoning Everest and for me it was a continual reminder that it be both mentally and physically along the way there's going to be crevasses there's going to be those the signs where things can and will go astray and i've learned i suppose very importantly that there are what we call the the facts of life where things can and do go astray as in you know there's gonna be a point where my guide runner does call up and would be half an hour before a session, say, listen, Jared, I'm stuck at work. I can't come and try and jump on the bike or go for a run. I could very easily go, well, oh, well, reasonable reasons. And that's where a lot of people, I suppose, fall into the mistake of of reasonable reasons where they go, oh, well, it's like, for example, I might say, oh, I had a glass of water, so I can actually have that piece of chocolate cake. Or I had that salad, so I can have that apple pie. You know, there's, there's all we get, our brain is amazing how it can justify anything of life to itself. And for me, as a person who's totally blind, I had to get past those facts of life where, sure, a guy's gonna call up and say the seek, Well, what's the alternative? What can I then obviously move on to as it's finding the actual opportunity? Many of us, I suppose, look at the obstacles, not necessarily the actual opportunities. For example, when you're dancing with the stars, it was shit i've never seen dance before all the opportunities were well hey listen how can we tell the story how can we take people on this journey and that's how we got to the final it wasn't it wasn't about the dancing It was about the story we told i love it it's particularly the 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 first one it's like
0: however you approach something is is probably how you're going to well it's how you're going to perceive it and you can see the exact same situation in a positive or a, a negative light and it's really about your decision to see it however which way that's, that's going to determine how you, how you feel about it. Jared, when's your, when's your window for the English Channel, for those that I'm, are that are listening?
1: Yeah, I'm looking to the actual windows from August 10 to August 17, so just on 198 days, but who's counting? And <laughs> for me, it's about the journey now. So we're looking at swimming in the Derwent River through to that's next week and then to right Island, and Then we have some, I suppose, cold water camps both in Sydney and in Melbourne at Half Moon Bay and then obviously move on to the channel. But it's, it's a very short time now. It's only a matter of months away. So it's, it's all about the teamwork now, I think, in that next sort of six or so months. And I think I was taught that very aptly by uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. I had the, the pleasure of having to you know, with Sir Edmund Hillary. And what people don't recognise is that when Hillary climbed Everest back in 1953, his team wasn't... Four people. It wasn't even a hundred people. The entire team that trekked to Everest Base Camp with Hillary back in 1953 totaled 2,000 people. It took 2,000 people to get two people wow. to the top of Everest in 1953. And it's the same with my team. It isn't Jared Gossens crossing the English Channel. He's my entire team and the charity of great dreams which we're looking to obviously raise funds for that will be crossing the english channel
0: that's that's awesome well i'm really looking forward to well to following that journey and i think we're going to catch up in march in in, in brisbane so looking forward to to that so jared thanks so much for, for sharing your, your story on the the podcast i know that the people who listen to it are going to get a, a real a real kick out of it and and we'll take a lot from it so i appreciate that and i wish you all the best in your journey over the next couple of months in the lead up to
1: really the channel true. thank you thanks for listening to the effortless swimming podcast if you'd like us to help you become a faster more efficient swimmer go to Com.